What's up? Good evening. Y'all doing all right? Good. Sweet. Okay. Great. Well, all two of you are like, yeah, I'm okay. The rest of you are like, tomorrow's Monday. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah, Monday. Taylor got it. Um, All right. So check it. My name's Caleb. I'm the student pastor here. Uh, And we're going to continue, if this is your first time here in a while, um, we're continuing in the series in Exodus. What Exodus is, is it's the second book of the Bible, and it is about God choosing his people, uh, the Israelites, who he said, you're going to be my chosen people, that to the rest of the world... I'm going to show my power and my grace and my mercy and my forgiveness. It wasn't like chosen people like, hey, you're something special and and you're going to be treated with some kind of privilege. He said, no, you're my chosen people that I'm going to show my power and I'm going to show who I am, my character to the rest of the world through my dealing with you. And so where you pick up an exodus is that the Israelites are residing, their whole community is in Egypt, and the Pharaoh, the king, has died, and now they have become slaves. And so God's chosen people are in slavery. And there's one man named Moses who was an Israelite who got raised by Egyptians, who rose to the top, who then killed an Egyptian because he was like, you ain't my people. And then... He's like, I'm now I'm going to die because I just killed an Egyptian. He runs away. He gets married. He has kids. You want to see something crazy in the Bible? Read about where Moses has kids and the fight he has with his wife. It is graphic. Anyway, so he then, God calls this guy Moses, who is a coward, uh, who, who doesn't speak well, who stutters who's not really that smart, and he says, hey, here's the thing, Moses, I'm going to use you to go call my people out of slavery. It's as if all Christians were enslaved in the United States, and he said, hey, I'm going to choose you to go to the president of the United States and tell him, hey, could you let those people go because God said so? And then he would say, no. That's where Moses is at. Moses is in this place, and that's where the Israelites are at. And so that's where I'm going to pick up um, this afternoon, uh, or this evening. What I'm going to ask you to do is, if you've got a phone, this is a good time to put on vibrate, on silent. Some of you use it for notes, and so that's fine. Uh, if you use it for your Bible, that's fine too. But, but don't let it be a distraction for you. What I believe about God's Word is that it offers life, and that it saves our life. That there are actual truths in here that could change you, and that save you. And so my heart is that we give our full attention to what God has and what God says. Have you ever, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Actually, I'm just going to pray for us. God, thank you for this time. I ask that you speak through me, speak through your word. God, that you'd be involved in this or that you would bring change, that you would bring a focus. God, that you'd bring renewed um, understanding of you and your plan for us. We love you. Thank you for being all powerful, for being in our situations, knowing our mess. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever, uh, your parents, this is a common thing I know for y'all, like ask you, you know, you're a person that keeps a rather messy room, that your room's kind of a wreck, and your parents often will come in and say, yo, you got to clean that room before you go hang out with your friends, or talk to that girl, or play that video game, or whatever it is. They're like, hey, you need to go clean your room. For me as a kid... 
We had Bible study at our house. My, like, my parents had all these people over at our house every Wednesday. And so Wednesday afternoon, school from school, we'd get home. It'd be like, who's vacuuming? Who's doing dishes? Who's dusting? Who, who, what, what's, your, what's your role? And then also we'd have to clean our room. Now here's the thing. There's two ways to clean your room. Okay, there's two ways. Uh, one way is you take everything you own, everything that is a mess, and you violently shove it underneath your bed, right? Like you cram it. Your bed's like not even touching the ground now, and it's just floating on your junk, right? And that's, that's that. Or, or the other option in this option A is that you go to that God-forsaken place in your room you call your closet, and you just shove everything in there, and you close that door, and then you begin to pray. And you say, Lord, please don't let my mom come in here and open that door. She will die, right? Like, if it opens, she's dead, right? And, and that's one way of cleaning that we take all of our junk and we shove it into places to make our room look clean. The other way of cleaning, which is a little harder, but in the end is more efficient, is that you take all of your junk and you pull it out from all the hiding spaces and you spread it all over the place and then you begin to pick it up piece by piece and you organize it. Some of you are about ready to walk out because you're like, that is ridiculous. I would never do that. And you're a dude, most likely. Um, There's two ways. There's two ways to clean your room. One, you shove it, you hide it. The other is you pull it out, you deal with it. Same as in our relationship with Jesus and and what we're going to look at tonight is that a lot of us in our walk with Jesus is that We met Jesus and we placed our faith in Jesus. But we haven't ever dealt with the mess in our life. That to the rest of the world, our room looks clean. But in reality, we've shoved a lot of junk into the hiding spaces of our hearts and of our minds. That you're dealing with a lot of things and you're like, man, if anyone ever comes and tries to open this door, they are going to be really surprised by the junk in my life, by the things going on in my life. And what you look at in the book of Exodus in chapter five is that their life isn't too different than ours. That Exodus chapter five opens up and these people are hyped about Jesus. Like they are hyped about, not Jesus necessarily, but they are hyped about God, same thing. They are like stoked about what God's gonna do because in chapter four, God comes to Moses and says, Moses, you're going to deliver my people out of slavery that they've been in for like 400 years. And so Moses is like, sweet, but I'm stupid. So I need somebody to help me talk. And he's like, look, your brother's going to meet you in the wilderness. Sure enough, Moses goes to that one meeting spot in the wilderness, wherever the heck that is, goes in, meets with his brother Aaron. And he's like, bro, you're in the wilderness. I'm the w- God is real. This is happening. How did we meet right now? They are hyped. They go to the Israelite elders and they're like, guys, 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 check it. God, talk to me. We're going to let you out. What? They're so excited. They are so happy. You got to know they're pumped. They're worshiping God right there. It says they bow down. They worship the Lord. Everyone is stoked. Man, you got to know that now Aaron and Moses, they're like, let's go talk to Pharaoh. We got Jesus up. We're ready. Let's do it. They walk in there pumped. Pumped. They were hyped about Jesus, not Jesus. God, I keep saying that. 
They were hyped about God. They were hyped about what God was going to do in their life. They were ready. They walk into Pharaoh. This is what the conversation, how the conversation goes. After this presentation with the Israel leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. You got to know, like, people are guarding, like, what are you here for, man? Don't worry about it. Like, man, they're just walking in cocky. They're ready. God's on my side, and they're going. It says, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go. So they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. And then, you know, Aaron looked at Moses and he's like, bro, nailed it. Got him. Let's roll. Pharaoh looks at him and says, is that so? Is that what God said? And who is this Lord? Probably not the answer they expected. He said, why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And I will not let Israel go. Right? You got to know Moses and Aaron. They're like, but, but here it is. And it says they persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he kills us with a plague or with a sword. Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people? He's like, bro, I don't even care about your God. I don't care about your request. I care about my buildings being built by the slaves that are Israelites. He says, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. But they went in, man, they were ready. They're like, Pharaoh, God's on our side. Release him. And he says, who is God? I don't care about them. These are my people. And they're staying. This is huge opposition. Second Peter says that, that this is the response that the world will give followers today when he says, where is that Jesus that promised he was coming back? Where's that guy? That this is not going to be an uncommon response for even us today. See, the thing is, we get hyped about the reality of choosing Jesus. But when we choose Jesus, you need to understand that life gets messy sometimes. It's not something that Satan wants for you. And it's not something like Pharaoh that the world believes in. You say, but God said so, but God's telling me, and the world says, who is God? That I would care about him. Sometimes it gets messy. They don't understand it. And Satan's desire for your life is that you would not follow him. That he would call you out, that he would separate you from God's plan. That Satan's desire is to distract you, to deceive you, and to discourage you from understanding who God is calling you to be. He's going to use a lot of pharaohs in your life to bring a lot of discouragement and distraction and deception to you. The story goes on. 
In verse 6, it says that same day, it wasn't the end, it only got worse. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen, do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. He says, no, in fact, stop getting them the supplies they need to make the bricks. They're just being lazy. Make them work harder. That what won't ever change in our life is that when the people of God choose to go all in with God, that they will often encounter opposition. That instead of finding instant peace and instant blessing, we tend to find a lot of conflict because the world doesn't believe in the things of Jesus and the world doesn't want to know about the things of Jesus. And so oftentimes we know that and we sense that down deep that if we follow Jesus wholeheartedly that our world's going to get messy and so what we do is that in the face of Jesus in the face of church we put on a fake front a clean front that we've cleaned the messes up in our life we shove it under our beds and in our closets of our heart and then when we get back into the world We say, no, no, I'm the same person. I still got all the things that Jesus was supposed to clean up. That we're scared to really take care of the mess, to really allow God to take care of the mess in our life. To really make some big choices for him. This is where the Israelites were. This is not just some story. You need to understand that. This is history. This really went down. This really went down. And as you begin to study it, here's what's really cool. As you begin to study it, you begin to see, and I've said this before, that their story is in fact our story. That our story isn't too different from their story. That there's a huge connection right there. But what makes it really interesting is their response to opposition. See, their response to opposition is, a lot, is, is like a lot of our responses to opposition. We're hyped for Jesus. We are so excited. It's the last day of camp. We're coming home. We're singing Christian songs. Or the last day of school. We feel like we just are getting out of slavery for the past year. And we are like stoked. Man, I got freedom at hand. I am so excited. This is great. And then we run into a Pharaoh in our life whenever we begin to try to live out this new life. We run into some kind of oppression, some kind of opposition, some kind of conflict. What's interesting is that their response isn't too different than our response. Here was how they responded. The Israelite foremen, the ones that were doing all the work and directing all the work, the foremen could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told, you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. What you need to understand is that your faith gives you a backbone. That if you tend to find yourself cowering 
at things going on in life as if they will end you, as if they will ruin you, then you've got to understand your faith in Christ is probably needing some help. That these men who had just been worshiping were now cowering at the face of opposition. And it says, as they left Pharaoh's court, they, com- they confronted Moses and Aaron, who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, may the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. They were worshipers who believed they were in serious trouble because their security lied in what Pharaoh thought of them. They said, man, we are in serious trouble. They gave the keys of their well-being to Pharaoh. That this man, this owner, this king, this person, according to all earthly rule, had some kind of authority over them. They also said, even though my life should be in God's hands, I don't trust that, and I really believe my life is in your hand. And Moses and Aaron, you just made us look terrible in front of the guy who controls our life. They believed a lie about Pharaoh's authority. They began to say, whoa, whoa, rebuke the guy that was supposed to be the one that used, that God was going to use to free them. He says, you have caused us to stink. You have put a sword into their hands and an excuse to kill us. That these people who were hyped about Jesus who were hyped about God, faced opposition, faced an opportunity to allow God to reveal some things in their life and allow God to build some faith in their life and allow God to clean up some things in their life. But instead, their response was cowering in the face of opposition. And so often we do that same thing. That something hard happens in our life, that our parents split, that, that we lose a good friend, that we get caught for doing something stupid, that we keep making the same mistakes over and over again on the weekend, that we have these oppositions in our life, these decisions in our life that we need to make a big change. But instead of saying, God, I need you to clean up the spaces in my life, we cower. And we keep doing the same thing. We don't allow the refining work of the Holy Spirit to clean us, to change us. We are like the Israelites a lot of times. I was talking this morning about my thyroid being messed up. What I didn't tell you was that my brother had like fatal thyroid cancer in 2011 that he got in a car wreck. I'll tell you the whole story some other time, but he got in a car wreck. His partner, he's a police officer. Someone ran head on into them. His partner died. He broke his neck, uh, didn't get paralyzed or anything, which is amazing. Took him to get a, like a full body scan. They said, bro, you got a lump in your thyroid. And they found it and they removed his thyroid. And it's a cancer that 
if two years from that point, he would have been dead if, not, if they would not have found that. This fatal car wreck caused this thing. And so I'm having thyroid issues. I'm thinking like, oh, snap, this isn't good. And so I've got to go to the doctor to get them to do a little dumb ultrasound to see if my thyroid's pregnant, right? And so they're like doing the thing. And, and then the lady, the word, I want to smack her, right? The lady is like, I can't tell you the results. Your doctor will do that in a couple of days. And I'm like, you're leaving me with like questions. Like, well, is it good? Is it bad? There's like little smiley faces on the wall. I'm like, how would you be feeling if you were me? A one or a 10? Are you smiling or are you not? She's like, sir, please leave. I'm like, okay, I will go now. And so for like two or three days, I'm walking around with this anxiety and this kind of, even a depression and even like a thought of like, what if I have fatal cancer? What happens? How would that change my relationship with God? Would I still follow him? Would I doubt him? Would he take me from my family? Would he leave my kids to be raised without a father? What happens? So you know I got the test back. I'm okay. So let's just. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. No, it's fine. They didn't need a clap. Such a weird clap. Thank you. Thank you. You're my favorite. All right. I'm just joking. I'm joking. Kind of. So, but, but seriously, it was in this moment of opposition. It was in this moment of opposition that I began to see the weak spots in my faith. That I began to doubt God's plan. Like I can stand up here and say, man, I believe God is in control. God has a plan for every step. Trust him. It's good. You're good. But do I believe the same thing? Well, I walk in the same way. See, there's some messes in my life that in the face of opposition, God had to say, man, you shove some of this underneath your bed. You shove some of this in the closet of your heart that we need to deal with, that I'm gonna walk you through this time of stressfulness. I'm gonna walk you through this time of hardship so that I can deal with some of the big things in your life so that I can increase your faith. That some of you have a lot of junk in your, in, in, your, in your bed and in your closet and you got a lot of stuff that God says, man, You're going to face some opposition when you choose me, but it's so I can deal with the big things in your life. I can deal with the big struggles. I can deal with the doubt. I can deal with the hard things. What is beautiful is this end passage. This end passage. See, what they failed to see is what you need to understand, that even though following Jesus gets messy, God doesn't fail. That even though following Jesus can get messy, God doesn't fail. That his promises stand. And this is what he says as we close out tonight. He says, then the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. So Moses goes to God and he's like, yo, God, I need you to show up here. People are doubting. Pharaoh said, no. I didn't expect that. This is not good. And the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his, hand, his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh. It's the God who fulfills his promises. It's the God who is and who was and who will be always. He says, man, they knew me as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but they did not know me as the God who is over everything and who will always be over everything. He said, but in me showing you, I will fulfill my promises that I am Yahweh. I am the God who doesn't fail. He says, and I reaffirmed And I reaffirm my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I am well aware of my covenant with them. In the face of opposition, God says, I remember my promises and I am well aware of them. And I am a God who completes them. That so often we see the opposition, it fogs our vision, and we cower. And God says, don't cower. Remember who holds your life in his hand. Deal with the junk. Go all in. Let's not do a quick cleanup anymore. Let's pull it out. Let's trust me in it. Let's begin to organize the spots in your life. That you're living fake. You say, man, you can stop living as just a a person who worships on Sunday and cusses on Monday. That you can begin to live as someone who's fully trusting me because I'm big enough to handle your insecurities. I'm big enough to handle the issues in your life. You trust him in that. He is a God that doesn't fail. I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes and, and I'm going to pray for us real quick. That You'd bow your heads. And I don't tell you to do this um, because I'm doing something crazy on stage. I'm really just moving this TV and whatnot and hopefully not knocking it over. But I do this so you could just focus. So there's no distraction. But that you would just listen. That you would just listen and hear. It's easy to be fake. It's easy to put on a front, and I'm speaking from experience. I believe God has more for you and wants more from you. We've got a lot of people who want to play Pharaoh in our life. We've got a lot of situations that want to play Pharaoh in our life. If we can take something from the Israelites... So we serve a God who knows our situations, who cares deeply about our struggles, who has a plan even when it doesn't look like we expect. And who says, man, I don't fail. Trust me, I don't fail. Will you go all in with a God like that? Will you be willing to stop going halfway? Will you be willing 
fully trust his plan? Will you be willing to try to find out his plan for you? He's a God that doesn't fail. He's a God that loves you and has big things for you. God, thank you for all you do. God, thank you for sticking with us like you stuck with the Israelites. That we doubt, we run away, we hide, we cower, and yet, God, you stand by. You are patient with us. That you love us deeply. God, as we worship in response tonight, I, I pray that our voices would be a pleasing noise to you. God, if, those are there, if there are those in here that need prayer and encouragement, I ask that you would give them the courage to go find that. If, those, if there are those in here that need to confess things to you, God, I pray that you give them the courage to do that, the words to say. Well, we love you and we thank you for all you're doing. We're going to worship. This is your time to worship, to stand, to confess, to kneel before the Lord. He is a God that doesn't fail. We have some messes that need Him to clean up.